Everybody, let's all stand. Turn to 236. 236. Whosoever heareth shout, shout the sound. Spread the blessed tidings all the world around. Tell the joyful news wherever man is found. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will. Send the proclamation over hell and hill. There's a loving Father calls a wonder home. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever cometh need not delay. Now the door is open, enter while you may. Jesus is the true, the only living way. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will. Send the proclamation over hell and hell. There's a loving Father, calls a wonder home. Whosoever will may come, whosoever will, the promise is secure, whosoever will, forever must endure, whosoever will, tis life forevermore, whosoever will may come, whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over Whosoever will may come. I'm thankful for that promise, aren't you? Whosoever will may come. Otherwise, where would we be? Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house tonight in our oasis in the desert. And, of course, pastor is at the GIBF meeting. Not too far from here, but uh, preached this morning. Heard from him. He said everything went great. They're up in St. Joe. And uh, they're going to be there for the meeting tonight be back tomorrow. But it is good to see each one of you in the Lord's house tonight. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight as we begin. My brother Gary Clark, would you pray for us as we begin tonight, please? Let's go ahead and be seated tonight for a few minutes and um, have a few reminders for you, some things coming up. Don't forget, men, we leave for the recharge on Friday, this Friday. I was just thinking today, I was writing these announcements down, and it seemed like not that long ago we were saying, in a few weeks we're going to be leaving, and now it's here already. Time is just flying by, but uh, we leave at noon this Friday for the men's recharge. Looking forward to a great time there, good preaching and fellowship, and uh, we'll be coming back on Saturday 
Uh, should be home before 4 p.m. If we're not, send out a search party, all right? Um, and then next Friday, we have uh, our last ball games with the school. Uh, because of the time, if you've noticed, it's even getting darker quicker. And I don't know if that's good. That's probably decent English, darker quicker. Anyway, it's getting dark faster, all right? And so uh, we're going to begin at 5 o'clock, all right? 5 o'clock next Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. And softball will be first. That way we can see the ball. Kickball will get, you know... If it hits you, it hurts, but it ain't like a softball hitting you in the face. So uh, we'll start with softball first and then kickball afterward uh, with the little kids. Um, outreach on October, I'm sorry, September 30th. Don't get too far ahead of myself. September 30th, 1030 in the morning. So that's coming up here in a few weeks on Saturday morning at 1030. So be here and be ready for that. We're going to be doing some outreach for our uh, fall revival that's coming up. And so it would be good for everybody to be here and help us out with that. Uh, I know that uh, the teenagers won't be here that day, so uh, the more adults we can get, the better, all right? They've got a youth rally on that Saturday up in St. Joe's, so they'll be gone, but uh, we'll be here going out on outreach at 1030, so be here and help us out with that as we go out and uh, canvas and visit some shut-ins and visitors. We've had a lot of visitors uh, over the past few weeks. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot of calls to make, so uh, be good to go see these and, um, <clears throat> and be in our place there on, on that Saturday. Fall Revival is the 8th through the 13th, all right? So be in your place uh, for that every single night at 7 p.m. Now, the 8th is Sunday. The regular service is Sunday morning. We're going to have Assurance Trio here singing, and uh, we're looking forward to that. And, um, you know, uh, that evening, though, there's not going to be any Bible study time, okay? So we'll just have one service beginning at 6.30 in the evening on Sunday the 8th, and then 7 p.m. each night following. So make sure you're here uh, for each one of those nights. I know pastors said it before. It's so true. The service that you miss will be the one that you needed the most. And so don't think, well, I can miss tonight. Just plan on being here every night and invite people to come with you. Amen. And uh, we're looking forward to that week. Um, also, that week is half days of school um, each day that week. So parents, keep that in mind that uh, you need to pick up the kids at noon every day that week. And as we're preparing for that, we're fasting and praying. Amen. That was pretty decent. All right. So we're, maybe we're all on board with that. All right. So this week is sweets. Anybody struggling with that? Somebody told me the other day, they, they said, you know, I'd never really want sweets, but now that I can't have it, I want it. And I said, well, that's, I'm, I'm with you on that. So I've been doing a lot of praying. Okay. So although I, I, I do have a sweet tooth, I can't say I don't normally want them, but um, I probably want them even more since I can't have them. You feel like a little kid when you, you know what I mean? Like a little kid, don't do that. Now they want to do it. That's the way I feel. Anyway, but I pray more, okay? So uh, a, lot of, a lot of prayer been going up for the revival this week, amen, uh, from, from at least me. So uh, keep that going. Keep fasting and praying. Next week is meals. So you can choose uh, either one meal a day or you can choose to go a whole day or however you, you know, want to do that. But do keep in mind, you know, this, we understand if you have health concerns or things like that where you can't do that type of thing, don't put yourself in harm's way, okay? Uh, we don't expect that or anything like that. God wouldn't expect you to, to do that either, all right? But um, do it as you can and uh, fast there and pray. And then the following week is going to be the social media and television. Just turn everything off and just spend some time with the Lord throughout the evenings as you're home and, and the weekend and be prepared for the fall revival on the 8th through the 13th. Amen? So looking forward to that. Let's go ahead and get our prayer list out tonight. We do have some things I need to mention to you. Some serious health concerns that are going on. Um, 
course, I think the most serious uh, right now, currently in, in our church, would be Miss, Mrs. Carolyn Moore. Uh, if you're not aware, she is, uh, she is over in Good Samaritan. Um, I just went uh, and visited with Brother Moore again today, and his daughter uh, Carrie is there as well. And, uh, but Mrs. Moore is not um, responsive to anything. Uh, she hasn't had fluids in three days now. Um, she's down from, I think he said, uh, like 20 or something, 20 something medications to three um, is what the hospice has been called in and they're taking care of her. So uh, just be in a lot of prayer for Brother Moore. And he's in good spirits and, and Carrie's in good spirits. And uh, she said to make sure to tell the church tonight that they send their love your way. Uh, when I was talking with them today, um, you know, they know that she's in the Lord's hands, but it's still not an easy thing to go through. And so just please pray for them. I know they would greatly appreciate that. And um, I know that uh, it's not looking like it'll be too much longer and we'll be uh, talking about funeral arrangements and things like that. But just uh, keep them in your prayers. I know they would great, greatly appreciate that. And if you think about it and you want to go up and see, see Brother Moore and see Carrie, I know they would love that as well. Um, and uh, just to be an encouragement to them as much as we can. Amen. So uh, they're right over here in Good Samaritan across the interstate there. I think it's room 204, if memory serves, 204 to get in there um, and see her. So it's down the hall to the left, down the main hall and into the left hallway there. Um, so uh, if you think about it and have time, I know he would greatly appreciate uh, that and, and the encouragement from all of us. So let's do that. Amen. And uh, some, other, some other prayer requests um, that are on here. Um, there's a couple families there, if you'll notice, uh, down in the bereavement section. It's the Bunch family and the Summit family there at the bottom on the right-hand page there. Those are friends and family of Miss Shelley Alderson, and uh, she's asked us if we keep them in prayer. There's been some, some loss there as well. And uh, so if you don't know Miss Shelley Alderson, she's been visiting on Sunday mornings, uh, her and her daughter. What's her daughter's name again? I can't. Michelle, yes, Michelle. It wasn't coming to my mind. So uh, they've been visiting. Um, so just really keep, uh, keep them in your prayers. I, I know that uh, they would greatly appreciate that. Um, and then Pastor gave me a couple others here. Uh, our missionaries, Lance and Leah Patterson, uh, to the Philippines. Um, they, uh, Leah and her son, their son Ethan were in a serious car accident um, this past week. And they're doing okay. I think they're on the mend. Um, but uh, we need to certainly keep, keep them in our prayers. So if you want to add that. Uh, on there, um, but Lance and Leah Patterson, I didn't, I didn't add it anywhere here because I didn't know about it until later, but if you want to write that in there, make sure and keep them and their son Ethan in your prayers. And then uh, Miss Pam Copes, um, if you did not hear the Copes that were just here, Brother Copes and Miss Pam, they were just here with us preaching a few weeks ago. Uh, they went home, and then a few days later, her mom suddenly passed away. Uh, was not expected. Uh, her name is, uh, we, I can't remember her first name, wish Carrie was in here. She would know. But uh, Mrs. Thrift, I know last name is Thrift. And so keep the Thrift family in your prayers. I think that service is tomorrow, that funeral service down there at, uh, well, let's see. Well, is it going to be at Southwest, do we know, Brother Quinlan? I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to be, but I know the service is tomorrow. So just, it doesn't matter where, just keep them in your prayers. I know that uh, they would greatly appreciate that. Some others that are on our prayer list, of course, um, don't forget the Cerula family with their the bereavement there, their, their 17-month-old baby that, that passed away. and um, so that's great-nephew, right, Brother Clark? Is that right? Great-nephew of Brother Clark. So keep that family in your prayers. And then keep the Crawfords in your prayers as well, Brother brother Randy and Miss Jerry. I know they're really going through a lot of health issues. And Brother Roy McRae, good to see him here tonight. Glad you're here, Brother Roy. And, um, and then, of course, we added on there the bottom of that 
on that first page in the right-hand column, Miss um, Martha Palmer uh, with the broken hip. Keep, keep these in your prayers as well as uh, Heather Swearinger is also a new one on there um, as well. So just uh, keep these folks in your prayers. And, uh, and then also um, I added on there at the top on the right-hand page the fall revival. Uh, we need to really be praying for our fall revival. And so uh, let's keep these things in our prayers. Is there anything else we need to add tonight? I know that's a lot, but um, anything we need to add or, or something we can take off maybe? Um, yes, Ms. Carr. Okay. Very good. Amen. So we can take Ms. Marilyn Carr off as her wrist is uh, healing up just fine. That's a blessing. Anyone else? Brother Wood. Okay, amen. We can take Brother Wood off there. He thinks he's, he's doing just fine. He, I'm telling you, he's looking spry all the time. I mean, just more, and uh, so good to see him here. I appreciate, uh, you know, these folks in our church that are just faithful. Amen, and Brother Wood is one of those. Sure appreciate his faithfulness and his testimony. And uh, so we can take Brother Wood off of there. Glad he is doing better. That's a, that is a huge answer to prayer. Anyone else? Ms. McCray. Yes. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Keep Maddie Owens in your prayer there. Prayers. She's in the right hand column. Not not quite one third of the way down there. A little three year old girl with leukemia, and I'm gonna have to go to four four day treatments next week, and uh, just a lot of a lot of things there. And I can't even imagine being a parent. And going through that with with your three year old, um, just a heartbreaking situation. So, certainly uh, keep keep her in your prayers. Anyone else tonight? Anything? All right, let's go ahead and have our men come. I've said it so many times that I'm so thankful that we can pray to the one whose hand holds the world. Amen. And uh, I think we'll see a little bit of that in tonight's message as well. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but the Lord knows where we're at. He knows what we need. And we just need to make our requests known to him and call out to him. I'm going to ask Brother Don Katanik, would you pray for the offering tonight and these prayer requests, please?
time. Page 284. Turn to page 284. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. For the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Joy floods my soul for Jesus has saved me. Free me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Remain standing and grab your Bibles turn the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter number 8 tonight. Psalm chapter number 8. I'm thankful that we can know that we belong to Jesus. Amen. I love that song. Um, I always give the song leaders that take, uh, take over for me when I'm not leading. I give them the option. Do you want to pick your own or do you want me to pick them for you? Usually they'll say... I want to pick my own, which is great. And he picked one of my favorite songs. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I love that song. Psalm chapter number 8 tonight. And we're going to read um, all nine verses together. And then I'll let you be seated tonight. Let's begin Psalm 8 verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Our Lord 
our Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let's pray tonight. Father, I thank you so much for allowing each one of us to assemble together tonight. It is good to be together as a church family. Lord, I pray that you would just bless the service now. I pray that you bless the preaching. Lord, I pray that you would use this passage to be an encouragement and a help and a strength to each one of us as it was to David. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just hide me behind the cross now and use me. Lord, uh, give me the words to speak and fill me with your spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated tonight. There was a lot of titles I was thinking of. My mind was racing through different things and I finally just came to the conclusion when I read this text, the first thought that comes to my mind is when I ask myself the question, who am I? Who am I? So I just titled it tonight, Who Am I? Who am I? Now, so far, we've gone through the first seven chapters of Psalms together, and we've seen um, the majority of them have been psalms of lament, haven't they? They've been, David, uh, he's been pouring out his heart to the Lord for different reasons. Um, most of them having to do with his enemies. Some having to do, uh, like, like Psalm 6 that we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, with, with the mourning over his own sin and trying to get that right with the Lord. And, but let's not forget that David, uh, being a man that God would call a man after his own heart, that even though... He had his issues. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he shows us over and over again some good examples here in the first Psalms because in every situation, he turns to the Lord to be his strength. He turns to the Lord to be his comfort. He turns to the Lord to be be the the, the righteous judge that we looked at last week that will will handle uh, his problems, that will handle the persecution that he's facing, uh, in which case last week was the slander that he was facing through Cush the Benjamite, and maybe some others that were with him. But he turned to God to help him, didn't he? And, and we saw once again that he turned to the Lord for help. And that's exactly what you and I need to do as well. But Psalm 8 takes a little bit different turn. Psalm 8 is not a lament. All right? Um, instead, this psalm, we would classify it as maybe a, a meditation psalm or a reflection psalm. Last week, I, I told you I'm taking allergy medicines. They give you so much cotton mouth. My wife said, great message, hon, but you had way too much cotton mouth. So I'm going to drink a lot tonight. hope you don't mind. Try and keep moisture in there. Allergy medicines do that. I don't know why they do that, but they dry you out really good. But anyway, so as we begin tonight on this meditation psalm, this reflection psalm, I want to try and see if we can do some justice, maybe, of setting the scene here. Okay, setting the scene of what David is experiencing. So maybe you're like me, maybe not, but have you ever been out on a nice summer day, maybe where it's not too hot? Maybe you're going for a walk, or maybe you're outside on the back porch on a fall evening or something like that, and you, you just look up into the sky and you ponder all the things that God has done. Have you ever done that before? You just look up, maybe it's during the day and you're just looking at the clouds or maybe you're like, you know, a bunch of us kids when we were little, we would look up and, and stare into the sun until we couldn't see it anymore and that's why we can't see today. Um, but, but maybe, maybe 
you, you do that. Maybe you look up, maybe you just on a, maybe you go to the mountains or you're on vacation and you just drive around and you're just in awe of what God's created. Anybody been there like that before? Maybe it's in the evening time and you're out on the back porch and maybe a porch swing or something, just a beautiful fall evening and you're just looking up at the stars and the planets and the moon and just be, just have been in awe of what God has created. There was a man, he's not a, he's not a Baptist man, he, he did a, a series of videos uh, a while back, it was probably back in the early 2000s, um, one of the videos that he did, he did a lot of research, he's not a scientist by any means, but he did a lot of research on the planets and the size of the planets. And the way he explained it was to use a golf ball. I don't know if any of you have seen this or not before, but he used a golf ball. And I'm going to try and explain something here just for a moment to you to kind of set the scene of where David's at. I think it fits perfectly here. So if earth were the size of this golf ball, imagine with me, if you would, where would you be on the golf ball? Would you even be able to see you on the golf ball? Probably not. But when you think of the earth, and we think of the earth as being a, a great planet, and it certainly is a great planet, but when you think of the earth, if it was the size of the golf ball, and you put that in relation to the size of our sun, the sun in relation to this golf ball would be 15 feet in diameter if it were to scale. So, put the golf ball at the base of the sun and then step back a little bit and try and see it and then try and find yourself on it. Be pretty difficult. But that's... The sun is so big that you could fit 960,000 earths inside of it. That's how big it is. 960,000 Earths inside the sun. That's enough golf balls to fill an entire school with golf, a school bus with golf balls. All right. Are you kind of getting a picture here of how small we really are? Now, the sun is only one of billions of stars in the galaxies one of only maybe billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. Which, by the way, I looked up today just to see. And scientists, this is, this is not some evolutionary thing, so don't freak out. But scientists, as they use the Hubble telescope and they look into space, they, they estimate somewhere around 170 billion galaxies are possible. We live in one of them, on a planet called Earth that is not near as big as even our sun. But if that's not big enough for you, there's another planet in our solar system. It's called Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse. You may have heard of it. Betelgeuse is two times bigger you thought I was going to say than the sun. No. 
Betelgeuse is two times bigger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. Is this starting to sink in a little bit? If Earth were the size of a golf ball, <laughs> Betelgeuse would be the size of six Empire State Buildings stacked one on top of the other. Now, you know what the Empire State Building looks like, right? So, why don't you pack up the family, go to New York City, take your golf ball, set it right down in front of the Empire State Building, walk back across the street, and then imagine six more on top of of each other, and that would be the size of Earth in comparison to the size of Betelgeuse. Again, only one star in our galaxy. If Earth were a golf ball, you could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Betelgeuse. 262 trillion of them. If Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill Arrowhead Stadium with golf balls. If that gives you an idea. 3,000 times. You thought I was just going to say once. 3,000 times. Now the next biggest planet that we know of is called Musifi. Musifi. It's so big, it's the size of two Golden Gate bridges end to end in diameter. So pack up the family, go to California, take your golf ball, Set it there on the end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Back up a little bit and imagine two, two of them in length. And there you are somewhere, a little speck that you can't see on Earth in comparison to the planet Musifi. If Earth were a golf ball, you could fit 2.7 quadrillions golf balls inside of this planet. <laughs> that's, that's a number that I don't even, I'm not... I've told you before, I'm not good at math. That is a huge number, okay? But the biggest star that we've found so far in our galaxy is Canis Majoris. Canis Majoris, this star is so big, it would be the height of Mount Everest. The height of Mount Everest. And if Earth were a golf ball, (laughs) you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. Seven quadrillion of them. That is enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas 22 inches deep in golf balls. And somewhere, you're on it. Are you getting the picture tonight? Remember, These are just stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And scientists now believe there might be upwards of 170 billion galaxies that exist. Now, I don't know about you tonight. I don't know if it's going to stay there. But that makes me feel pretty small. Makes me feel pretty small. And I picture David here in our text. Standing out on his balcony. And he's in awe of what he sees. 
under this clear sky. He's looking up into the heavens and he's pondering how big and how vast it is and how great our God is. I want you to look at verse 3 with me again. We're going to read verses 3 through 8 together here and then get into some things. David is up in heaven, or looking up into heaven, and he's pondering the work of the Lord. And he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou, thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. But as we think about David and he's pondering all that's gone on and all that, all that God has provided and, and, this, and the galaxies and all that he's made, and just, he's in awe of it all. It's interesting to note a phrase at the end of verse number one. This phrase says, Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now that word glory there, you'll see glory all throughout Scripture. But that word glory right there is only used a handful of times in Scripture. And it comes from a Hebrew word. Hod or hod is the Hebrew word. And that word means majesty. 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 Royalty. What comes with those things? Authority comes with those things. This authority that David is speaking of here is outside of the realm of what David could visually see or comprehend. David can see the cosmos. He can see the stars. He can see the universe. This authority that David's speaking of here is authority that's outside of that. It's greater than that. In other words, the majesty and the authority that David is speaking of here, it is supreme. Supreme authority. And David is an absolute awe of it, this supreme authority. Now look at verse 2. Verse number 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now I've tried my best to do some research on this verse. It's kind of confusing. But I think I figured out what David's saying, and I, I believe in the context of the passage here, this is what he's trying to get across. He says, out of the mouth of babes, God, the one with supreme authority, has ordained strength. Now the word ordained there is talking about establishing something. He's ordained it. He's established it. He's put it in place. And it's established so that it cannot be moved. Okay? It's permanent. It's there. And then it, what is he 
What, what, what is he, God, what is he establishing then? If he's, if he's established something, what is it? Well, it's strength. He's established, he's ordained strength. All right? So that's, what's God, that's what God is doing. He, he's firmless, firmly establishing strength. But he's using babies to do it? That's what it says. Babies? He's using one of the, the, the smallest, insignificant, harmless creatures on the planet to establish strength. And God does this, it says, with the mouths of the babies. That's what it says. Look at it again. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anything of real value that usually comes out of the mouth of a baby. Spit up. Screaming if they don't get, get what they want, right? Um, crying. Brother Matt's back there like, mm-hmm, yep, yep. He's fresh and new to all this. But now, the word still in the last half of that verse... That word means to cease and is actually related to the word Sabbath in the New Testament, which is to rest or cease from labors. Okay? Those words are related to one another. So if you take all of that into consideration tonight, I believe in the context of what David is saying here, in God's, of his, of his, he's talking about his glory and his majesty, his authority that's being absolute supreme, uh, above our comprehension. It's out of the, the realm of, of, of where we live. It, David is saying that, that that authority that God has is so great that he could use the smallest, most insignificant creature, such as the babbling mouth of a little baby if he wanted to, in order to cause the fiercest of his enemies to cease. To stop, to stand still, to be done with. In other words, God is so powerful. He is so powerful that if he wants to stop his opponents, he could use the unimpressive mouths of the weakest of his human creation to do so if he wanted to. I believe that's what David's saying right here. That's how strong, that's how powerful, that's how mighty That's how authoritative God is. He is supreme. And he can do with whatever he wants to do with, whenever he wants to do it. That's who he is. That's the extent of his authority. And David was mesmerized by it. He was mesmerized by the majesty of God as he continued writing in verse number 3. When he says... Considering all that, God, I consider your heavens, the work of thy fingers. I see the moon and the stars which you created. Not man, you created. And he was mesmerized by it. And these weren't just any heavens that he was speaking of here, because David is speaking. He's speaking of Yahweh here. Look back at verse number one again. 
Our Lord, all capitalized. Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am that I am, the everlasting God, from everlasting to everlasting, the one who who is who is always existed, who always will exist, the self-sufficient one is who he's speaking of here. Yahweh. But notice the second Lord. This is where it gets really interesting to me because the second Lord is not all capitalized. And this is David recognizing his relationship, his relationship with Jehovah. The second Lord we see is not all capitalized. It's actually the word Adon. You may have heard of the word Adonai. Adonai. And it means my master. My master. So he's saying, Jehovah, my master. He's recognizing that this Jehovah, this Yahweh, who keeps covenant and always has been and always will be, he's the one that holds authority over David. He's the one that holds authority over him. He is his Lord. In other words, he is his master. But not only David's master, but all of Israel's master. And, and in, in, in relation there, do you see the word our? Our? Our master? The master of all Israel? And by extension then, he's the master of the entire universe. And all that's in it. Everything. And we're going to hear that through the rest of this psalm. And so, it's to this God that David's expressing his amazement and his awe and his wonder of God, I am so small in relation to your universe. You have all power, all authority. It's outside of anything I can even see. Jehovah God, that is you. So these heavens, these heavens here, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself just a little bit. The how, let's go back to the word how. The how there, we need to understand first, isn't, it's not asking a question. Okay? When he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name? He's not asking a question. He's making a statement. Okay? The how is a note of exclamation and wonderment. If you, if you notice there, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. It's an exclamation. It's not a question. He's saying, how excellent is your name in all the earth? It is excellent. That's what he's saying. So these heavens here are the heavens of the all-sufficient one, right? We've determined that. And David says, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers. You know, scientists, man, philosophers for, for centuries have been trying to determine the origin of the universe. But as Bible believers, we can go back to Genesis 1-1 and see the origin of the universe, okay? Um, Sir Isaac Newton ran across this story and and studying for this. I thought it was very good. Sir Isaac Newton, of course, a famous uh, mathematician, scientist. He strongly believed in God. 
However, he had a very close friend of his who did not. Um, he didn't believe in God. So Sir Isaac Newton, he devised a plan. He was going to try and convince this friend that God did exist and that he had created the universe. He was going to convince him of this. So one day, he went to a carpentry shop and he asked the owner to make a model of the solar system, some of which I just explained to you a few minutes ago. This model was to be made to scale. Intricately painted, designed to resemble as closely as possible the actual solar system. That's what he wanted. After several weeks, the carpenter was done. Isaac went and picked up the model. He paid for it. He placed it in the center of the table in his living room. Sometime later, his atheist friend came for a visit. When the friend arrived to Dr. Newton's house, the model of the solar system caught his eye. Of course it would. And he asked Sir Isaac, he said, if he could inspect the model more closely. As the atheist inspected that model, he was impressed by the fine craftsmanship. He was impressed by the beauty of, of the pieces. And after a while, the, the atheist asked his friend Isaac, who had, craft, who had crafted this wonderful model, who was it that made it? And Sir Isaac Newton promptly replied that no one had made the model. It just appeared on the table by accident. It just showed up. Confused, the friend repeated the question. And yet Newton stubbornly clung to his answer that the model had just appeared out of thin air. Finally, the friend became upset. And Isaac explained the purpose of his answer. Because you see, if he could not convince his friend that this crude replica of the solar system had just happened by accident... How could the friend believe that the real solar system had just happened by chance? With all its complexity and all its design, it just appeared by chance. The point is this. The design always demands a designer. It always demands a designer. And creation always requires a creator. Turn to Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 1. Psalm 19 and verse number 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The fingerprints of God, right here in Psalm 8, thy fingers, the works of thy hands, they're visible all over creation. The fingerprints of God. David specifically mentions, for example, the moon and the stars. The moon may seem to be just a planet. Maybe it's a planet that has no life, but the moon is important, isn't it? The moon is important. It serves very important functions. For instance, the moon provides us with light at night. Light at night, all right? The Bible says that God made two great lights. He made one to shine during the day, the sun, the other to shine during the night, the moon, and he made the stars also, according to Genesis 1 and verse number 16. But the moon also causes our oceans to rise and fall. It's, its gravitational pull on the earth is just right to cause the oceans to circulate. This movement helps the seas to, to clean themselves. It helps, helps them to absorb oxygen. I teach school and it's all coming back. It does all these things, the moon does. Uh, the tides are needed for the oceans to support life. The work of God's fingers is evidenced by our perfect moon. It's evidenced by that. If it were too big, it would cause dangerous tidal waves. If it were too small, the oceans would become stagnant and not able to support life. It's perfect. 
And God made it just that way. And he speaks of the stars. Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote that we seem to take them for granted. Because he said this, If constellations were visible only once a century, everyone on earth would go to see them. But they're visible all the time. So we tend to take them for granted. But the heavens are really telling the glory of God. That's what they're doing. But God is not only the creator of the universe, He's also the creator of you and I. He's the creator of us. Look at verse number 5. Verse number 5. For thou hast made Him a little lower than the angels. Not a lot lower, a little lower. And has crowned Him with glory and honor. We have to remember that as human beings, as mankind, remember this tonight, we are God's most marvelous creation. Mankind. We have to keep that in mind tonight as we read through this. I believe we see David here pondering this thought, though, that if, if the God of the universe bothered to create you, this alone proves how important you are and how valuable you are to Him. When you live your life for His honor and His glory. You're not an accident. It wasn't by chance. You're not a fluke of nature or a byproduct of some irresponsible parents. You're handmade by God Himself for a specific purpose. God Himself prescribed every single detail of your body. Think about this. He deliberately made you the race that you are. He deliberately made you the color that you are. He deliberately made you with any wrinkles you have. He deliberately made you how tall you are or how small you are or how skinny you are or how big you are. He made every single part of you just the way He wanted it. He custom made you. We are indeed wonderfully made. But your value and God's majesty don't stop at creation because David tells us that we're cared for by God. Look again at verse number 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? David asked the question, What is man in all of this vast creation that thou art mindful of him? In other words, what, what are people, humans, that, that you as the creator of the universe should give any thought to taking care of them at all? Who are we? Which brings us to our title. Who am I? Who am I in, in all of this? David was asking God, who am I that you would care for me? Of what significance is this, this puny creature that we are? Well, the creature that at best is pictured as being brought to nothing by the mouth of weak babies. Think about that. When you think of it like that, what is man? Why is God mindful of us? Well, he remembers us like he remembered Noah. Noah and the ark. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us to our own in the, in the midst of overwhelming, this, this overwhelmingly vast creation. He doesn't just leave us out there by ourselves. He doesn't do that. He could. Couldn't he? But he doesn't. He could leave us alone, but he doesn't. He doesn't forsake us, according to Deuteronomy 31.6. He will never leave us nor forsake us, the Bible says. But David knew who he was. He knew who he was. And, and when he began to think of the majesty and the power 
and the authority of God in this vast universe that he created, all these things that we've mentioned in the following verses, he stops in amazement and ponders the question, in all of this, who am I? Who am I? David didn't think of himself as deserving anything. Think about this. I was thinking as I was going through here, and, and, I, and I gave you all the examples of the planets and all that kind of stuff, that what we know today about the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of that is way far more advanced than what David knew in his day. And yet he still stood in awe of it. And said, what is man in all of this that you are mindful of him? Yet in his great love, the Lord chose the earth for himself and he created us in his image. He did that because God is mindful of us. He is mindful of us and he does care for us. And his main concern for those he created was that they would spend eternity in heaven with him someday. That's his main concern. That's why he sent his only son, Jesus, to the earth to die on the cross so that you could have the ability to go to heaven one day. God's desire is that everyone on earth would come to a saving knowledge of him. That's his desire. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. If you would, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 46 and verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 46. I want to read verses 3 and 4 to you. Isaiah says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age, I am he. And even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even will I carry, and will deliver you. He says, I've carried you since you were born. I've taken care of you from birth. He says, even when you're old, I'll be the same. I'll do the same. I'm not going to move. Even when your hairs are turned gray, I'll take care of you. I made you, and I will take care of you. I will carry you, and I will save you. That's what the Lord is saying. God is constantly, constantly, constantly demonstrating His love for us. Simply by just not taking us out. That's how much he cares about us. Because we don't even deserve to be here tonight. The Bible says that God can open the windows of heaven. He can pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. According to Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10. But just as he once gave fishermen enough fish in their boats. He can give us more blessings than we have the capacity to enjoy. God can do that for us. The Almighty can bless you with blessings from heaven above And even on the earth beneath, he is able and capable of doing that. Blessings of the grain and flowers. Blessings that reach to the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills, according to Genesis chapter 49, verse 25 and 26. We don't have time to read that tonight, but if you want to go look at it, please do so. But the Bible says he can bless us with all those things. God's love for us and his care for us, uh, he goes before us even. He goes before us. In other words, he anticipates the blessings that we're going to require, and and he puts them in our paths. Think about that. He knows what things we have need of before we even ask for it, doesn't he? How many parents do we have in here tonight? Parents, all over the room. Okay, when you were expecting parents, you were most likely enjoying fixing up the baby's room. 
Maybe building a crib that you could never figure out. Or putting a stroller together. You were, you were making plans during those 40 weeks previous of what was coming, for what was coming. You were getting the room ready, painting it, carpeting it, whatever. Putting the crib together, getting everything ready. As, as expecting parents, you also knew that your children that were coming were going to need some supplies. They were going to need diapers. So you might have gone out and bought diapers. Say maybe they were going to need formula or baby food or whatever. So you go out and you buy all these things. You get everything ready. You know that the baby is going to want to sleep. He's, you know he's going to go for walks. So that's why you spend the time to put the crib together and the, and the stroller together. And Think about that for a minute. That's exactly what God does for us. He knows what we have need of before we need it. And he goes before us. And he prepares the way. Think about this. Before we came into the world, he made it inhabitable. Before we needed salvation, he made it possible. Before we needed instruction and guidance, he wrote the Bible. He's preparing the way. Before, uh, I, I was thinking again today, in, in, in chapel, I'm going through Psalm 23 with, with the kids. And in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Before we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as David wrote in Psalm 23, he offered eternal life. <laughs> Before we enter into, into eternity, guess what he did? He opened the gate to heaven. He's done all these things. God's love and care for humankind is ultimately and was ultimately demonstrated by Jesus Christ when he came to earth and he died on a cross for your sin and for mine. That was the ultimate, ultimate love that he could have given us. Because we have to remember tonight, when the mob came to take him to the garden of, uh, take him away in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he could have called 12,000 legions, 12, I'm sorry, 12 legions of angels. That would have been 72,000 angels. He could have called them to help him escape. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. He had the power to run away. He could have gotten away from the interrogation of the Jewish council if he'd have wanted to. He could have gotten away from Pilate. He could have gotten away from Herod. But no, he chose to do those things. He chose to endure ridicule. He chose to endure physical and mental torture. He chose the thorns. He chose the pain. He chose the agony. He chose the nails that were driven into his feet. Why? Why would he do this? Well, as significant as we may think ourselves to be in relation to this whole creation of the universe... It was still for us that he went to the cross. He did it for us. The God that created the vast universe that David is in amazement and awe over. He only had one son. And he sent that son to die for you so that you could have eternal life. Because he cares about you. And if that doesn't tell you how much that God really cares about you, and prove to you that, I don't think anything ever will. So we have David. He's looking up into the heavens. He's thinking on these things, how great God is, how much authority that he really has, how much he's made everything that exists, and yet how he still cares for man. And he's mindful of man. But he goes a step further. Look at verse number 5 again. For thou hast made man a little lower than the angels... And has crowned him with glory and honor. God's mindful of man. But it's not because we're so great. So don't get fat heads tonight. Okay? We're nothing. 
we're helpless in this vast creation that God's made without him. Without he is, who is the sustainer of life, we wouldn't even be able to be alive and enjoy it. So David writes that he's made man a little lower than the angels. Now, the, the word angels there is literally Elohim. Elohim. Now, we commonly know that, of course, that's a word for God. But it's also used for heavenly beings in Scripture from time to time. Angels. All right? And so, in particular, the angels is what it's used for besides God. So Yahweh has created man to be a little lower than God himself, or at least the angels. And you might think, boy, we're missing out on something. I mean, we're just a little lower than God. Well, remember, it's just a little lower, okay, which is actually quite a privilege considering how high and how authoritative Jehovah really is, okay? And it's even more clear uh, that this statement is meant to express the true privilege that is ours as humans made in God's image when you consider the next statements that David makes in verses 6, 7, and 8, okay? He's crowned us with glory and honor. And it's very interesting that now that we've gone from hands of God, and in verse number 8, we go to feet. Okay? The works of God's hands, which we'll see in the following verses, He's appointed to be under our feet, David says. It's quite a privilege. Look at verse 7 and 8. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field... The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. In verse number six, it says, All those things are going to be under his feet. So David acknowledges that God has made mankind to rule over everything that he's made. All right? David is saying to God that you've put everything under man's control all the sheep, all the cattle, the domesticated animals, if you will. But then he says, over the beasts of the field, those that would want to kill you or harm you, okay? Over the birds, the fish of the sea, whatever swims in the seas. And I believe that David is referring all the way back to Genesis when God crowned Adam and Eve and by extension all of humanity by placing them over all creation, okay? So Genesis 1 and verse number 26, God says this, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So you see, God gave human beings a level of power and authority that he's not given to anything else in creation. We've been given that. And and this word works is the same as in Psalm uh, uh, 8 verse 3. There it was talking about the heavens and all the things that are in them. But now here included are those works, uh, what David has just mentioned in verses 7 and 8. But beyond that, verse 7 also speaks of our worth as human beings. Because in all of creation, from the microscopic little amoeba (laughs) to the biggest animals that God's created, only human beings are created in the image of God. Only us. While all of creation declares God's glory, I love this, only humanity can reflect God's glory. Think about that. All of creation can declare it, but only those of us that are made in the image of God can reflect it. But I want to go one step farther tonight and then we're going to be done. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. 
The book of Hebrews, in chapter number 2. You can leave our text there in Psalm 8. You go to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, this is going to sound very familiar. Look at verse 7. Actually, start in verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Sound familiar? That one in a certain place would be David. Verse number 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Not for some, for all of them. You see, although this psalm is not technically classified as a messianic psalm, meaning it's speaking of the Messiah, it's not technically classified as that, I think that it definitely has messianic, it's messianic in its nature, okay? And what I mean by that is that David's not only speaking about man's authority over creation in general, but specifically about the son of man's authority over all the earth. The author of Hebrews, who I personally believe to be Paul, I just believe that by the style of writing, we don't know for sure, but it tells us that even though God gave us dominion and authority over the earth, that because of the fall, we don't see people being responsible with it. They're they're actually ruining the earth that God has intended, and they're not ruling over it like he intended them to. But what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he's now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. The psalm, not only this psalm here in Psalm 8 that we looked at, it not only looks backward toward creation but it also looks forward toward the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, and Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor, and he has everything under his control. Everything. Look there at the end of verse number, or look at verse 8 again in, in Hebrews 2. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, talking about man. For in that he, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Why, why would Paul say that? Because we aren't doing it the right way. We're not taking care of the creation that God has given us the right way. But Jesus Christ will. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He tasted death for every man so that you could have eternal life. And because of that, God has crowned him with glory and honor and given him all authority. And he will set everything straight one day. So David, 
He sat back on his porch. Maybe he's out under the stars. Must be. He's talking about him. He's writing about him. He has his Sharpie marker. In one, no, probably not a Sharpie marker. He has his ink pen in one hand, a quill, his parchment paper in the other hand. And he begins to reflect on God's majesty, his glory, his power, his authority. And he struggles. Some, I think he's struggling with a lot of the questions sometimes maybe we struggle with. Who am I in all of this? Who am I? What is man that you would take thought of him? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would even care to know my name? Well, he not only cares to know your name, he knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. But when you feel small, when you feel insignificant, when you find yourself feeling maybe worthless or, God, what am I? The words of this psalm should encourage us. Because we and all other human beings are valuable because God himself created us in his own wonderful image. And he cares for us, and he loves us, and he wants his best for us. He, he provided a way of salvation for us. He did all these things just for us. And his desire is that every single one of us would know him as our Savior and then live for his honor and his glory. That's his desire. And that's what David was encouraging himself with and praising God for in Psalm chapter 8. So I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what situation you might be facing. Maybe you're here tonight and you've just felt kind of down. Maybe you felt like God wasn't paying much attention to you. Maybe you felt like really small. Maybe you're struggling with some things in your life that just don't make sense. Let me tell you what. God sees it. He knows where you're at. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants his best for you. But you need to turn to him and he'll help you. Live for him. Let's pray tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed.